Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Matthew McDermott, and I'm a staff writer at Resident Advisor. This past Sunday, 20,000 people gathered at a public park in Atlanta to dance to house music. House in the Park, founded 15 years ago and thrown by Ramon Rossoul and Kai Alsay, sees a majority black crowd turn out in droves for soulful dance music. But when Alsay arrived in Atlanta 20 years ago, the house scene was virtually non-existent. For this week's exchange, we're thrilled to announce a collaboration with Underground and Black, the radio show, blog, and party run by Atlanta via Detroit DJ Ash Lauren. We'll be working with Ash for the foreseeable future on exchange podcasts with key figures from the past, present, and future of Black dance music. As Ash Lauren came up in Detroit before moving to Atlanta, she was a natural choice to interview Alsay, who brought the lessons he learned working at Detroit's legendary music institute to the Deep South. The son of Haitian immigrants, Alsay maintains a deep connection with Detroit, as well as his native New York. He throws an annual movement after-party, Deep Detroit, each year, and the name of his label, NDATL, reps the cities which have shaped his sound. Through his label, parties, and his own standout DJing and production, Alsay is concerned both with preserving the rich legacy and fostering the future of Black dance music. This is Ash Lauren coming to you live from Atlanta. Today I am in the studio with the one and only Kai Alsay. For those of you who don't know, Kai is a DJ and producer from Detroit who's been based in Atlanta uh, for 20 plus years now. Really happy to be here with you today, Kai. Uh, just going to start this out. Uh, what you've been up to lately? Uh, you want to tell the people, give a brief little introduction of who you are, what you're about? <laughs> I mean, I guess you just gave a brief one, but um, uh, I just got back from touring over in the EU, just a few dates. Um, again, I'm based here in Atlanta, like you said. I run a record label called NDATL, which stands for three places where I've lived, which is New York, Detroit, Atlanta. Yeah, uh, I don't know what else. <laughs> how, uh, so how was your experience this last tour? Um, I know you just got back, what, like a couple days ago? or. Yes, actually, two days ago. Um, so two places were recurring. To, I played in Berlin and I played in Barcelona at places where I played before, which both of them were just as you know gratifying as the first time that I played for them. Okay. Uh, Berlin was for diversity. Um, some friends of mine named Stratos, they run a, a night at About Blank, uh, as well as um, a night at Barcelona uh, at Razzmatazz. Uh, Mark Gimeno, um, he invited me, and yeah, 
It was great. Uh, for, it was my first time also playing uh, an event called Free Rotation, which um, my understanding is very quite uh, esteemed to be invited as well as like even for the patrons to get to go. Um, okay. It's sort of like a lottery. Um, you know, you have to be invited by someone who's already been. Um, but it, it, yeah, it was really cool. Um, so yeah, I saw a lot um, of talk about free rotation uh, just after the fact, I guess, online. You know, there's a few people kind of buzzing about it. Being that you just experienced it, like what separates free rotation from some of the other large festivals you've played? Like what makes it, you know, what it is and separates it from everything else? Well, for one, uh, obviously, all, all the you know obstacles it does to, to actually get there. Yeah. Um, I think, from my understanding, the capacity is a thousand, maybe even a little less. Um, they have camping grounds, um, and the hotel, and it just seems like so. Um, which I think is requested by the the promoters. They request that the DJs who are playing that after that weekend that. Whether or not if you're playing on the last day or the first day, they request that you stay the whole weekend. Oh, just to experience, like, the whole festival? Correct. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, the people that see the girl, there's, like, I guess some industry, and then there's some, like, people who are just, you know, true lovers of the music. Yeah. And uh, so they get a chance, you get a chance to talk to a bunch of people, you know, where they're from, you know, some, some people, you know, how long did it take them to actually make it to the festival? And yeah. where does the festival take place? In I in Wales. Uh, Wales. So outside okay. of it was about a two hour drive from Birmingham, uh, the airport, okay. which I flew into. Okay. Um, funny enough, I guess it was at the uh, Hotel Baskerville, which is like, so if I'm getting this correct, this was like the school that Sherlock Holmes went to. The writer who oh, wrote cool. Sherlock Holmes, you know, he remember he, he wrote a book called The Hounds of Baskerville. Wow. Uh, this was supposedly the school in which, like, those kids got ate by the hound or whatever, which wow. someone was, like, laughing because they were like, yeah, great place to have a, a you know, a, a festival. And people are, like, running around till, yeah, all, all day and all night, you know, in this uh, old hotel that kind of winds around. But uh, it tends to be, you know, part of the character of the actual festival because okay. they, they actually have two big rooms or two rooms within the hotel. And then like kind of like a, a tent where they're just playing like ambient music. It's almost like being in a little uh, yoga hut or something like that, you know? Okay. And then the outside, they have a, an outside dome which they play music during the day. And I think at six, at six or seven, it ends in the dome and then moves to the inner, to the hotel. And they play music until six in the morning. Okay. Now, um, were there any performances uh, that stick up? So did you end up staying longer? Like, did you do a whole weekend, or did you just so, do Yes, yeah, so, so I did the whole weekend. Was so. there anyone you saw that kind of, like, you were uh, Yeah, a few people. Uh, Thomas Sumo, you know, did a great job. Um, uh, I've seen her a few times, and she's always good. Um, uh, Fred P. did his first, like, or uh, I won't say his first, but a, a live show okay. uh, early on, which was, you know, quite minimal bubbly and like you know it fit that afternoon setting yeah um who else did you uh, see mr g yeah mr g was amazing so yeah. so mr g that was my first time catching him live wow and man. um yeah he was he has amazing you know just yeah. just to see him do what he does with what he has you know it's and like so many other people want to emulate or copy or 
bring that type of energy and like he does it with efforts you know effortlessly you know yeah that's definitely someone i would love to see one okay, day live right. personally so Huckabee, i was wondering how um was. patrice scott did real well okay um yeah Huckabee did play i guess after me uh in the dome on sunday um and that went real well so uh when you're traveling and on tour like how does it feel like does it ever feel like a family reunion in a sense to like be over in europe like hanging out with your homies or friends or i definitely especially when, uh, yeah definitely. from back in you know from the d like back in the day and you're like wow we're just over here in europe like correct you know? so yeah definitely there have been times where you know you just might be three or four of us from detroit that just happen to be in the same time so when Sharad was there um in Berlin actually I didn't get a chance to catch up with him um but you know I saw Carl Craig while I was in Barcelona um so you know it's great to like just run into people in our travels and just say they're doing you know they're still pushing the sound they're still out here working so exactly yeah definitely all right so now that we talked about you know what you're up to currently we're gonna take it back a little bit um your label and the atl is like basically a representation of you being born in new york raised in detroit and now you're in atlanta what are your early memories of music uh would you say those would be in new york or in detroit in new york of course um you know because my father was sort of like a high five buff so he always had like the real nice turntable you know, he had a mixer, not that he was ever, like, trying to be a DJ, but, he, you know, he had a reel-to-reel. He was um, into music. Yeah, yeah he was into music. Quality, music. Yeah. Correct. Um, so, and he listened to jazz, and then my mom would always kind of bang, or, you know, uh, Caribbean music. And then being that we were in New York, we were just in the hotbed of, you know, disco music, uh, uh, the, what would now be hip-hop and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah. that was being played on the radio, and played in my home um, and in and around everything I was doing. So um, those were my earliest, you know, because I, I probably bought my first 12 inch or something like that while, before, you know, I left When New you York. were still living in New York. Correct. Um, okay. But not trying to DJ at that point, just buying music. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we moved to Detroit, you know, and, and not knowing what to expect, to, what I would, you know, gained from the moving there, you know. So you're so we're gonna rewind it back a little more too. <laughs> so your parents uh, moved to New York, but are both of your parents Haitian or is just one? Or? Both are Haitian. Okay, so uh, what brought them to the states? Well, work. You know, work. An okay. Opportunity. And right. that was the same reason you guys ended up moving to Detroit from. Correct. New so York. work, my father. Yes. Okay, so when you got to Detroit, how old were you? Uh, about ten, eleven. Ten. Okay. Yeah. And what was that like? Like, was it kind of a, do you, I mean, do you remember, was it like a kind of a difference or? Um, yeah, so that was a, a total difference because um, I had no idea where Detroit was. Oh, knew nothing wow. about the, <laughs> knew nothing about the culture or what, we didn't even know what, yeah, Detroit was not even in, in my existence. At so that did point. like, what, someone got a job or something? Father got a job. Okay. Uh, okay. So, you know, my mother literally had probably have a pull. She had to pull out like a map and was like, "Yeah, this is where we're moving." You know, yeah. we're like, oh, you know, <laughs> get in the car. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, uh, you know, we moved. It was funny. I just brought that up. Uh, DJ Stingray 
was one of the few people. He li- actually lived on the same block as I do. Wow. Um, or maybe about a block up. Okay. So he's maybe about the third or fourth person I remember meeting in Detroit when I first moved there. And, they, you know, they, he just kind of rode me around, taught, you know, introduced me to a few other people. So you've um, known him that long. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I never knew that. Okay. Shortly after, you know, you just, you kind of just fall into it. Um, so, like, what kind of music was he into? Like, what like what was the scene? Like, was it, like... Electro, so what he's doing now, electro music. Okay, like the early electric. days of that. Yeah, so wow. that was still going on, and, you know... You know, he was, uh, he had a few records early out that, you know, you could look them up. Um, they were like borderline, just that electro uh, dance music, which was kind of just what everybody was doing, you know, Juan and okay. um, Derek at that time. Um, and, and not even at that time, because, you know what I'm saying? This is because this is a few years before that, um, before those guys' songs were released. Just, you know, they used to be the high school, because I had a sister, huh, but that, so let me say, let me say that. I had a sister who was about three years older than me. And so a lot of those parties were thrown by high school. These are like kind of like high school groups. Um, okay. Uh, they were called like Snobs, Darla, Shari Vire, which you now... Yeah, know, I was going to say like Todd Johnson. He's, yes. He speaks so, about those. Um, these groups would be like my five or six teenagers. And they had a, some sort of name and they would throw these parties. Um, so my sister would go to them. Um, and my parents had this weird notion that if, you know, my sister took her little brother, that that would keep her out of trouble. And um, so that tended to, you know, I was able to go to some of these parties, maybe a little younger than I was supposed to. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it just kind of stuck with me. Um, I ended up thinking one of those early friends, uh, Scott, his brother, took me over to this other guy's house. They had turntables. So this is about 83, somewhere around there. and um, Or maybe a little, a little earlier than that, because I think I bought my turntables in 83. So within like a couple months after going Oh, after some, kind of being exposed to, to that. Yeah, to, okay. to the actual turntables, you know, DJ, you know. Um, before then, I was always into, still into the music. But again, that music was, you know, uh, at that point, electro, disco, Maybe some hip hop at that time, you get what I'm saying? It wasn't uh, quite house. Wasn't yet. quite house yet, exactly. Okay. So was that like the type of music you were playing early on when you did get the turntables? Like that's the type of record you were buying. Or yeah. Record? So that's what you know. I think there's there's a record right here in this pile. Of, uh, Call me Mr. Telephone, which was sort of like a pop song, I guess you know, okay. uh, for progressive. Which actually was it was produced by some Italian disco people. Oh, and wow. then some Americans recreated it. You know, so, ah, yes, uh, okay. So that was like, that was the music that was being played at that time. Um, um, and then, you know, House came along. And yeah, I just was there for that, you know. Um, there's always, you know, the argument, what was the first House record? I can't really say, you know. Um, yeah. But I do remember, you know, buying Time to Jack or, you know. Now, were you in high school still at this point? I was in high school, yeah. You were in high school, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, maybe not even high school, was I? Yeah, because so, again, this is 13, 14, you know? Okay. So I was probably at you know, either 8th, ninth grade, somewhere in there, when I first probably started buying some records. So yeah. how did you go from just being a kid, like just getting some, you know, new turntables, buying some records, like go from that to being like involved in the Music Institute? Um, 
were you like trying to kind of make your way into that scene or were those people older than you or were so yeah so most of those people about five or six years older than I was okay I just I just actually happened to go funny enough I, I think I went to go see Farley at maybe Taboo it was like on a Wednesday night they were trying to promote the Music Institute. So they were there passing out flyers, like, you know, come at least come check it out. That that night it wasn't open per se. Um, and uh, we went, me and a friend of mine, uh, and he was like, you know, we're actually hiring next week. And so we came back next Tuesday <laughs> when they were hiring, you know, they hired me as like a coat check, yeah. you know, uh, boy. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. So, but I, you know, again, I was, you know, I was into the music so what was it like, like, I mean, working the door there? What what type of people were walking through the door? Like, these were mostly young people, right? Like this, and it was, like, sober also, I hear a lot. Like, it wasn't revolved around drinking or drugs. It was just kind of maybe more fashion or, like, uh, like being fly? No, so, I mean, music. people still got drunk and high. I mean, you know, but there was no, there, there wasn't, you couldn't sell, you know, you couldn't sell it in the club, so it was a, a juice bar. Okay. Um, but there was a parking lot, so... Oh, so people were just like, you know... Yeah, so little... I mean, do whatever like, before and then... Correct. Come. <laughs> so, you know, it was funny, like, you know, it would be a ton of people that would kind of be just in their car from like 11.30 to maybe even like on the dot, 1 o'clock. Around 1 o'clock, everybody would just kind of like get out their cars and just file, file in, there'd be a line, you know. Um, you so know, did you? If you wanted to go back out and drink, you could, you know, so that, that's, that's how we got around that. Yeah. Um, so did you ever get to, did you ever play there from like your days when you were working the coat check or? I might have played still... like a few records with Shay, you know, so Shay, Shay Demier and Alton Miller ran a Saturday night, Derek, uh, D. Wynn and this other guy named Chuck Roper, uh, rest in peace, um, ran a Friday night as well as they had a few, you know, they had guests like Juan and Kevin and all this kind of guys would come through where Saturday night pretty much stayed standard just Shay and Alton. Um, and since Shay was sort of like my mentor, you know, while he'd be playing, he'd be like, you know, you want to play a record or, you know, why don't you play a few records? And that was to the extent of it. I never, per se, had a full set where it was like, oh, Kai, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, okay. Around. You were still the early days. Yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, what I learned from there, from both of them, uh, both the difference in the, in the evenings, uh, always would stick with me. Okay, cool. Moving forward to when you moved to Atlanta, so probably post Music Institute, you moved to Atlanta uh, to go to college. I'd assume you were about 17, 18 years old. Uh, mm. Did you know anything about Atlanta uh, prior to you uh, going down there? I mean, I guess you had to know a little bit if you decided, you knew it was a good school. Okay, yes, yeah. I think that was about all I knew. And your uh, parents probably wanted you to go. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know where they want. I knew where they didn't want me to go, which was NYU. So I, I got accepted to NYU. My father was like, because I was already traveling there to go like party at times. And so he was just like, yeah, a distraction, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, he was like, oh, yeah. And, and would it have been a distraction or maybe I would be doing what I'm doing now? I don't know, you know. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I decided to move. So I didn't want to stay in state in Michigan, so... I moved to I moved to Atlanta. I think I could. I think another choice may have been Howard. Okay. Um, but yeah, I went somewhere else. And uh, yeah, no, I can't say I knew anything about Atlanta per se. So, when you got here, 
I mean, like, what, what did you think about it? I mean, I know for me personally, <laughs> I had never been here. I thought it would probably be, like, extremely country or southern. But it's kind of a, you know... Um, yeah, I had, I, I think I had all those preconceived notions of, you know, being country and blah, blah, blah. But once you get over the, the accent of the people, it's the same. Um, the, the difference was though, they, they, they did not have history in dance music per se, like uh, as a Detroit or a New York or a DC. Yeah. Um, so that it was totally void of that, you know, um, uh, outside of the few gay places that played house music, um, so yeah, there that, wasn't like a house music culture per se. No. So at the, at the time when I was here, the like, you know, on campus, Ron Pullman would play some parties for some New York promoters, um, as well as Ted Patterson used to work at this place called uh, Color Box. Um, but then outside of that would have been the gay clubs like Tracks and Loretta's and uh, 688 Weekends. So the house was at the gay clubs. Was basically. at the gay clubs. Yeah, that was it. Okay. Strictly. Um, you know, again, for the few little things I said that, like, would have been thrown by, you know, some of the college promoters that were from New York or whatever, D.C. Okay. I don't remember the Chicago promoters. So it's kind of like influence from people that were maybe in school down here. That were in school down yeah, here. Yeah, it wasn't Correct. like the locals that were throwing house music events. Correct. Um, and uh, one particular year, Ron Pullman and Ted Patterson moved away. Uh, Ron Pullman moved back to like Denver, I think, and Ted Pastor moved to New York. And I just found uh, sort of like a vacuum of just like, I, if I don't do it now, I mean, either somebody else will or there won't be any house music. You felt like that was the time you could really step up. Yeah, so that, okay. that, that's what I did. And luckily, I had a friend of mine named Samir who he was one of the promoters that would have like Ron Pullman. And he, he actually invited a few people from New York at the time. He was, he was from New York. Um, and he kind of like put me in on one gig and then, uh, we started doing a party at, um, a, a, a Thursday night party at a club called Velvet. And from that point on, it just kind of... Was it the Velvet Room or was it... No, Vel Velvet. Okay. Yes, yeah. So the, actually the original owners of, uh, well, one of them are now, is now part of Tongue and Groove, which is still open. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, Tongue um, and Groove. Um, yeah, and, uh... You know, I just kind of stuck to my guns and just always kind of continued to play house music instead of anything else because there wasn't no one else really playing it down here. Yeah. So I just felt like it was it was a small niche, but it was a niche that, you know, I could feed. And um, It was like a void that needed to be filled and yeah. you were like right there. Yeah, and then the place called Oxygen opened up after that. You know, there were other things. So then, you know, the rave scene was, was starting to grow huge in the 90s. So you had things like Liquefied, and Liquefied would bring like the King Brent, Josh Wink, Doc Martin. And they still are throwing parties. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, but yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty much a lot more EDM now. Uh, yeah. They do it at the di district. But yeah. definitely they, you know, another scene that also uh, contributed, you know, to where we are In now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you obviously brought your turntables like down to school when you came or how uh, no actually I didn't um uh, I think I, just, I may have brought it did I bring any I don't know because I, I, I think my parents were definitely trying to squash that oh know. like well like you know your you need dream to go, of you, being a DJ well because I, I didn't I, I didn't want to be a DJ per se like I wanted to know how to DJ but I didn't see it as a profession at that time you know I had not seen anybody yeah. live their life 
as a DJ okay. at that point. And yeah. you know, I saw some people doing really well, you know. Okay. And um, by the time I got to Atlanta, you know, that's when that's when people like Shay and Ron and you know Derek and them really started so to take off and start. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, it was more so watching it happen as opposed to knowing that yeah those guys would be still DJing right now 30 years later you know yeah you probably wouldn't have thought that correct that's crazy (laughs) so what has kept you what would you say has kept you in Atlanta for so long um being that there are a lot of you know producers who maybe are from Detroit or from New York and you know they decide to move to Europe you know because it's you know it's easier they can make more money they can tour more or even moving back to New York or maybe somewhere where dance music is more known or more popular. Uh, like what has kept you living uh, in the South and Atlanta specifically um, for all the years you've been here now? Mm, I guess partly of, you know, the backstory I just gave to you, you know, um, it's kind of part of the, the, the fabric of house music being here in Atlanta. And I've always believed that part of your environment, you know, helps you create whatever it is that you make. Um, so Atlanta's been an integral part of, you know, what I've done and who I've become. And uh, it's made it easy. Like, so I, if I need to go to New York, I mean, it's a $200 ticket and, you know, a little time. So um, and I, or I always go you know, Detroit and New York. I probably go to both at least four times a year, you know, and so... Uh, I'm never too far away from either one of them, so I've never, I, you know, I never, I knew I never wanted to necessarily move back to New York. It's, it's hard living there, you know. Yeah. It's expensive, but I truly enjoy the inner, You know, it's no place. It's like no place else in the world, you know. Yeah. Um, but luckily, you know, uh, for myself, I've I've, I've kept friends. Um, I've kept my connection to New York, so you know, it's it's just like going, uh, you know, to my second home there. So. Atlanta's just been more comfortable and easier for me to survive. Um, and uh, again, it, you know, I made my um, my name or branded my name coming from here, you know. Um, and, and it helped to expand the people that I brought here from Detroit, uh, as well as the people that I brought here from New York. Like, uh, I've opened their eyes to that there's something here to be seen, so. Completely agree. Um, even in the years of me living here, I, I do feel like the scene has expanded a lot more. And there is the conversation of like Atlanta, like there's people there, you know, like they can name names, parties, uh, you know, record labels. Um, so it is cool to see uh, the growth. Uh, you mentioned, you know, liquefied. Uh, are there any other like crews or people? Uh, that you can think of that were kind of instrumental in uh, bringing Atlanta to the forefront uh, back when and also currently? Uh, back then, so like Karen was part of a group called Earth Tone, or Karen now owns a club music room. Okay. Um, so Earth Tone was sort of like, they would bring the people like DIY, Sunshine Jones, uh, the, the Wicked crew from like San Francisco. He would bring more of that kind of like dubby, you know, house stuff. Um, then Carl was um, in Jackson, who now on Sound Table. Um, Carl was um, very integral in bringing a lot of that uh, broken beat sound. Oh. So he, he was uh, very intertwined with the whole Jazz and Nova, Bugs in the Attic, you know, Giles Peterson, Benji B. Like, so he, he kept that very strong connection with them. 
And then I was the one who kept the connection to Chicago, Detroit, and then built uh, some of my uh, relationships with New York um, as I became more of a DJ uh, here in Atlanta. Okay. And Satellite Records, I just want to briefly speak about that. Um, That is a record store. Oh, yeah. So Satellite Records was born uh, out of New York. A guy named Tommy Sunshine convinced the owner of New York to open up a, one here in Atlanta. I don't know how. I don't know why. You know? <laughs> uh, but it was in the bottom of a store called Wish. Um, and, uh, you know, I happened to go in there. and um, Wish and Little Five Points? Wish and Little Five Points. Wow, that's where basement. it was? Yeah, it was in the basement. Where all the shoes are now. Yeah, where all the shoes are now. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, I stayed there for about a year. Maybe, yeah, about a year. And then it moved across the street from Wax and Facts. Uh, I had a storefront there. Okay. Um, so when did that era end? On Satellite? Yeah. Satellite ended in 2006, if I'm correct. Oh, okay. Um, so it was open for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, Satellite was uh, huge because, I mean, Satellite was like, I mean, they had a store. They had one here. They had two in New York and one in Boston. Okay. Um, and so they were like the largest distributor seller of records for years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We were we were you know, yeah, we were selling records everywhere. Definitely. So I mean how was it I mean what was it like working in the record store? Do you think that influenced your sound at all? Just being around music all day, every day? Uh maybe some of the people you meet, the connections you make, uh, uh definitely with the connections I made, you know, with the record labels, you know, they want to know, you know, because they were sending the records down here. They'd want to know who was the buyer. Okay. And so, you know, they'd make sure I got promos, which, you know, or if records came in and I wanted to be like, yeah, keep me in, you know, and play with, you know, some of these records. And then because I was at close relationship with a lot of people from Detroit, I was actually helping them sometimes get their records into the store. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was it was a it was a great great grounds for me at that time, you know, because. I think while I was there, I was also playing at MJQ, so you know, yeah, it was uh, it kind of went hand in hand. Okay. Um, that and makes sense. through through MJQ, I probably built more of my relationships with the producers, uh, because I would you know bring them down to come play, and um, you know, I think back then was when I, you know, I always knew I wanted to start a record label, and so I always so whoever I kept brought down. One day I'm gonna call you to you know do something for my label. Yeah. And they'd be like, all right, no problem. And so far, so good. Everybody's uh, everybody's honored their uh, obligation. Wow. That's dope. Moving forward to now, like from back then, uh, like what do you think about the scene in Atlanta? Like the current state of the scene, if you will. Um, I think it's grown a lot. Uh, they're definitely. Um, I, I want to say there's more people. But it's more fractured, you know. Seemed like more people uh, party together a little bit more in the '90s um, as opposed to now in the shoot. Let's just say, you know, in now now in the early the teens, those you know, 2000. But like, yeah, through the '90s, you know, some of those older clubs that I could think of, like Kaya um, and Velvet, uh, they were they were a little bit more of a melting pot of like the people who went and uh, partied together. It slowly but surely has fractured into, you know, these people hang out with these people, blah blah blah. Um, not, a, you know, I don't want to say it's a bad thing. I just think that 
it was a little more fun when they all partied together. Okay, so you're saying like it it wasn't as clickish, if you will. Yeah, uh, and, you know, it, it, it's, and the music has evolved into so many subgenres as opposed yeah, to yeah, and everyone has their little correct. you know specifics about what they like. Correct. So, um, but I will say, um, for me, like living here and seeing you play like over the past ten years or so, um, I think your crowd is definitely. One of the crowds I see, like at your parties, is one of the, some of the most diverse, you know, people you. I see. So, so kudos to you. For kudos that. to them. Kudos <laughs> to them. Kudos to them. So sticking, I guess, with the ATL thing a little bit. Uh, so you just celebrated ten years of your label uh, in the ATL. Correct. So, congrats to you on Thank that. You. Um, right. I recall one time we were. I think maybe me and a friend were over here, but we were talking to you and we were asking you about production. Um, and you said that you waited a while before you got into, into production, like you were just DJing for a while. Uh, what do you think kind of made you get to that point where you're like, I'm ready, I'm, I think I'm ready to start like making tracks? Like, mm, I don't know. Because uh, uh, I think I was just starting to... Uh, Maybe been at MJQ for about a year, maybe. That was like maybe 97, 98, somewhere around there. And I just, you know, started, you know, hearing the music that was being out. I was like, okay, I think I can do that. And, you know. Hearing melodies. Yeah, yeah, And just, you know, maybe I'd hear songs that I'd be like, oh, I wish they would have done this. Or I wish I would have ah, done okay. You know? So I was like, you know, well, let me stop saying that and let me just start let me putting just my. Do it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I bought my. I think I bought an MPC first. And shortly after that, I think I bought a Juno and a Mackie, like, board. That was pretty much my, uh, that was my studio for about the first couple of years. Definitely just that Juno, MPC, and, uh, and a Mackie, you know, maybe a microphone or so. Um, and, uh, and that worked for, for some years. Um, and I just kind of learned the craft um, over, the, over those years. Um, learning a little bit from every person that may have came from out of town. Okay. Everybody knew something different about the MPC or yeah. knew something different about this and that. And then, you know, of course, in front of them, there's the, the, you know, computers get into the game. So, um, <laughs> which I, you know, I'm trying to think of when I, maybe around, two, maybe around the time that I actually started the label. When, I got when you my started first, incorporating the computer. Where I got a computer. Okay. By the time I already had the, you know, like the few couple tracks that were Ariel had those recorded on, you know. Some of them were on mini disc, and I think some of them were recorded on the VS eight eighty, and uh, yeah, and here we are now. <laughs> so, um, I mean, so what would you describe like the end the ATL sound to be? Like, is there a like I feel like there is a type of sound like there's there's yeah. a lot of just feeling in it, you know? Like it's definitely not like a lot of other stuff I hear. Thank and, you. Um, um, I think it, it, it grabs from those those three aspects, you know, as well as Chicago. So, you know, I think, you know, so some of my friends from Chicago has always said, you know, don't forget you got, you got some Chicago in you. Know, and I do, because, you, know, you know, I went there. <laughs> Being from those the three places or, you know, how I came about, I, I got to see things that most people didn't see. Not all of them, you know. So many New Yorkers have only seen New York, especially during those golden era, you know. Yeah. New Yorkers, you know, rightfully so. They just stayed in New York. They didn't go anywhere. Most Chicago people didn't go anywhere. Detroiters never, you know, some of you know, but the friends that I had, 
they traveled. And then I had friends, you know, um, just because my relatives were still in New York, I would go back to New York. So I would go to the clubs there. So you were kind of getting bits and pieces. Yeah, from all of them. And you can, you'll never, you'll never meet somebody from New York that was like, oh, yeah, I went to the Music Institute. Or, you know, (laughs) um, you ain't going to meet somebody from New York saying, oh, yeah, I went to the Music Box. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, you know, if you do, it's going to be. Where, but I'm one of the people that can say, yeah, I've been people in music People weren't, box. like, kind of traveling to party back then. They were kind of you know, just I, in there, yeah. I've been to, you know, Clubhouse in D.C. I've been to Voodoo's in Philadelphia. I've been to, you know, The World in New York. I've been to St. Robot. I've been to, you know, I've just, you know, when I went to New York, I was, you know, yeah, I was, I was anywhere I could get in, you know. So um, when you were, like, bouncing around, like, were you... Were you doing gigs at this time, or you were just like a music fan? Like I'm just, just a music to... fan. Yeah, okay. I was just, yeah, I was just hanging out. Yeah. I was just hanging out. I was DJing, you know. So I would go to these parties, and then, you know, maybe try to hunt down those records like the next yeah, day. Yeah, you were like getting that inspiration. Correct. You know, uh, which I think is very important. Uh, I mean, just as an artist, as a DJ, like it's it's okay to be a fan too, you mm-hmm. know, and to go out there and put in that time and just get that education. Uh, I'm still a fan of many, you know. Oh, you know. Yeah, I'm still a fan of many. Speaking of End the ATL, you started doing the special edition. Uh, Like, what was the ideology behind that? Okay, so the ideology behind that was to just make something special for those people who came to the party. The first one, uh, so I don't know if we could consider a special edition, but the first one was Andreas that did a remix on Feeding. And so I've had that on twelve on one side, and then there was uh, some other mixes of Power Through on the other side. So I kind of just did that at that party. It, it, it caught kind of caught on, you know. And then the next party I did was with Larry Heard and Theo Parrish. So of course, you know, those guys are huge as well. So but I wasn't really thinking about it. I was just like, yo, let's let me do this seven. I, was, I did a seven inch, and you know, had you know three like four minute tracks, four minute track. Actually, I think Theo's and then was a little longer. Um, Were you calling it the special edition back then? I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that one was the first one. It so. was special to the to the party, basically Correct. That, that event. Correct. Okay. So, unbeknownst to me, you know, so I, you know, I thought, you know, novelty. You know, what I'm saying. That's now a phenomenon. Well, yeah, well, yeah, because <laughs> you know, I didn't realize, but like, yeah, so I think like maybe like the Tuesday after that party, someone was already on Discogs trying to sell it for like a hundred bucks. It was like. Not even the greatest pressing, you know, because I was again, I was just trying trying something different out and it was something new, so they like they were loud or it wasn't loud. Okay. Um, but anyway, you know. But the music was there. I yeah, mean, so and it was Larry Heard and Theo, so correct. you know, people. Um. So I was <laughs> like, okay, let me keep this in play. I think so. The next one was um, was a single sided um, music institute, and so then what was the next one after that one? One, two, three, four. Or was a ten inch with me, Spectre. And uh, Marcellus Pittman. Then the next one was, I think, me, Norm Talley, and Kyle Hall. Uh, then me, Mike Huckabee, and uh, Jay Daniel. Then uh, the next one was me and Stefan. Then the next one was me, Shay, and Alton. Then Patrice Scott, me, and Goucher. Then, the, then I had the double pack. Last year. Uh-huh. Uh, with uh, a bunch of the artists who played over the years. Yeah. Um, and then this year. And then this year was me, Nick Holder, and Brett Dancer. <laughs> and so, you know, so people have always complained about, you know, this expensive. 
So my thought behind it was that people pay $20 for it when they go to the party. That's not con uh, taking consideration of what it took for them to get to Detroit. You know, they paid $20 to get into the party, you know, and now they're paying $20 for the record. So for me to then sell it afterwards to people who never made it to the party for the same amount of money, I feel is a disservice to those who did, you know, who did make the trek and made the effort to be at the party. Oh, so you sell it for less at the actual event? Of course, so the event is, is, is usually twenty dollars. Okay. When afterwards it's thirty dollars. You know? Or whoever else on Discogs. So yeah, and then it, yeah, it goes yes. Uh, <laughs> and then you know, and then also I give a, a box. Um, I usually give a, a bunch of copies to the artist, in which they can sell as well. Oh, okay. Um, so and it's only about three to four hundred of them ever pressed, you know. So we keep it keep it tight, and uh, you know, uh, people. You know, again, sometimes people always complain about the music, and I say. I've got records that I've had longer than any pair of shoes or anything else that I've owned in my life. So if I paid $30 for that, I think it's a worthwhile investment. Exactly, because it stays with you. What is uh, the future of Deep Detroit? I know you were doing it um, at the location that used to be the Music Institute. Um, and well, was that? it was actually... Next door or something? Down the block. So Music Institute was at 1315 Broadway. And then when Music Institute and it closed, 15. a lot of the parties ended up going to fifteen fifteen. Not Music Institute in per se, okay, but, but just the idea, you know. Okay. So people threw underground house parties. So you know, I think Carl Craig do in his own orchestra there. You know, so these kind of things, you know, they gravitated to fifteen fifteen. Okay. So yeah, so we moved from we did fifteen fifteen. We did that for the first uh, eight years, and then the ninth one was at one space, and then the last two has been, have been at. Red Door Digital, which I hope to stay there, you know, until yeah. that, that changes. Um, I love the 1515 Broadway space, just yes. with, like, the little bar upstairs. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, the bar, the, the owner hated us having it, you know. But, yeah, yeah. But, it was, um, I mean, it was super people underground. Enjoyed, yeah, people enjoyed that. Definitely. But um, I think definitely for where you're out, where you're at now, and just the size of the party, like, the new venue is definitely, like, you know, it, it's a way better fit, you okay. know what I mean? Because you, so I mean, even this year, I was like, wow, like last year, like it seems like the turnout is even bigger than before. Okay. So it seems like the party um, is actually growing. Man, um, and growing at a nice pace. I've seen some other parties, you know, really grow really fast or just kind of hit the scene in Detroit during the festival. Um, but we've always kind of just tried to stay true to a. Uh, 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 just a true and underground formula, and uh, I'm glad that you know it's stuck with the people that have come, and they continue to come. And you know, I think one thing that helps is that you know it's, it's kind of family run. I got my sisters working the door, my mother, you know, friends of the family. Everybody's like kind of exactly. helping out. So um, it's always been good so far. So yeah. Um. So speaking of your family, like, what what do they think like about you being like this? Star studded DJ, like, do they think it's cool? Or, yeah, know? I think now they do. You know, for for a little while, my mom and dad was still like, you know, get a real job, and then yeah, I think now they finally understand, and they're kind of like they're a lot more supportive now. Okay, I, you know, and yeah, if I need something now, that I tell them, yeah, they 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 have a better understanding. So another thing I want to touch on is uh, <laughs> uh, mentorship. So. Uh, you know, being that this uh, collaboration with the resident advisor uh, with my brand Underground in Black, uh, which initially was started um, 
with like the idea of preserving the roots of dance music, like keeping dance music black, keeping dance music American. Um, and a tool that I think that makes that possible is something like mentorship. Um, you know, I guess the older generation coming with the new generation of people and kind of working together and collaborating or, I don't know, asking questions or... Um, oh, so uh, I, I've totally, I mean, I don't know, you, you may have to ask them, but I think I've always tried to keep my door open. Um, yeah, plenty of people come and ask me about things about, you know, distribution, making records and all nine yards that, you know, they tend to tell me that some of the old school guys were a little bit more guarded about passing on that information. I see that to be unnecessary, you know, because no one can, it's just like a record, you know, telling somebody with the title of a record, they can't do what you do with it, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, so you, know, you shouldn't be scared of what, what it is. And, um, yeah, I'm totally for any uh, people, you know, really anybody, but people of color in specific, you know, in America, they're trying to do it. I'm trying to be there for them. You know, um, like I mentioned before, like uh, Stefan, once I first heard his music, I was told about trying to push him and, you know, tell him to get his music out there, you know? So, I mean, because yeah. I think nowadays so, so many people in the youth, you know, they kind of make it and feel like, you know, it is what it is and do it'll do what it do when you can make it do what it do, you know, if you know the proper channels and uh, you have the belief in the music as, you know, as you should. So uh, I think I, th I told you that, that like, you know, I feel like I, I definitely helped bring some light to Stefan, Byron Aquarius, who's now flying all over the world, and Javant, um, you know, these are like three people that like, they've always had the talent so you know i i haven't i haven't given them the talent i just kind of showed them the door and showed them how to open it and you know and uh exactly. yeah i just want now the world to receive them and whoever else that i can help along the way i think i will try or, and i think i have uh agreed um and i i definitely i think that that's important because uh to touch on what you said um about there are maybe people who've been in the game for a longer time, you know, they're more, you know, guarded or, you know, quick to judge or say, you know, oh, they don't get it or it's not the same. Um, but me personally, I just kind of look at it as like a each one, teach one type of thing. Like if you have knowledge, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with sharing it, especially uh, to a culture that you're trying to keep alive. You know, this is underground culture. This isn't something that's at the forefront. And you know, although, you know, it, you could say it's popular in a sense, like I think it's still important just to have that connection uh, with those that came before us, you know. Um, of course. Because um, so. things will never be what they used to. So, I, I, yeah. I, so, I'm not, I, so, you know, only thing I can do is tell you about how the world or, you know, Sound Factory or things like that were, you know. And to tell you that the, it can happen again, but it'll have to happen on your terms, and you guys will have to uh, invest the time and the uh, the energy to make it happen. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah, it's not going to happen for me. I might be able to, somebody like myself might be able to give you the venue, maybe give you the tools to do it, but it will take the energy of the youth to make it happen again. You know, um, it won't happen from us. Uh, so what's next? What's next for you? Uh, what's next for Enda ATL? Um, I know you're in a new studio space. Uh, 
which we're recording from right now. Um, yeah, everything. Has that given uh, you some new inspiration? Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it took me a while. So when I moved in, it took me a few months. But once I finally got back and you know, like set up my studio, which Stefan helped me do. Um, like I had a few remixes and things of that nature that were just um, that had already been commissioned and so I was able to knock those out pretty quickly once I finally got everything up and running. Yeah, this year's actually been uh, kind of a whirlwind because I put out a few releases. I put out the Andre. Well, Andre's was like late last year uh, and I put out the Spinner. That Gregory Porter. The Gregory Porter and the Kamasi Washington. Uh, got the Who Do You Love, Ricky Corey, which is also, yeah. you know, another... So that was like the four-pack you've been kind of promoting. Correct. Okay. Um, and that did really well. Correct. It seems like it did. <laughs> yeah, no, it did. It did. It did. <laughs> um, and then um, now I'm looking forward to uh, next 12 inches, uh, Ed Nine, a producer out of Chicago. Um, then after that, another Comedic Just, which will be my 20th, official 25th release uh, wow. on, in the ATL. Um, which uh, I got high hopes for that. I really like it. It's a really weird, cool record. Um, yeah, then you know, there as uh, people probably are in a few remixes out there already. Um, like I, do, I did one for just one uh, on uh, on Visions recordings. So the, was that the Dreamer G one? Oh, uh, so Dreamer G and uh, so that, that's something totally different. That's, so this, those are just edits. Okay. So um, you know, with the new um, fascination of seven inches. Okay. Me and DJ Spinner said, well, why don't we go back and put some classic house records that never were on 7-inch on 7-inch. Uh, okay. So that's what we're doing. So okay. um, the latest one was that I, uh, Dreamer G, I got feeling and uh, definition of a track, which has been a really cool experience, you know, being able because I'm not doing much. I'm just shortening them, making them four minutes. But sometimes you got to do certain things to make sure it flows correctly and whatnot. So been challenging on a few but most of them have been pretty easy you know and and they've come with a, a great uh reaction to them like a lot of people are enjoying uh i'm doing a remix for these guys jan kinsel and them out of croatia where they're where they're doing real some real nice good stuff any gigs coming up you're looking forward to uh, Any more touring in the future? So the last few days you know that I just did but then the next one's in november i think um okay just I think going to France, Berlin, probably Amsterdam. I do you know a few uh, again like I did just just now, um, but in November. Okay. Um, and then I think from that, uh, the biggest thing I think that I'm looking forward to is uh, the house in the park thing yeah, that we do. That was right my now. next question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's probably the biggest um, uh, thing on my plate coming. So, yeah, House in the Park, uh, Labor Day weekend. I guess we'll kind of close talking about House in the Park. Um, it's really created or turned Atlanta into um, a destination for house music. Um, just how does that feel for you just to be a part of, you know, the beginning of that and see it grow and literally just affect the whole climate of Atlanta dance music? It's amazing in the way that, and just how it doubled, you know, every year, you know, to to where it's gotten to where it's, you know, at now. Um, that was probably the the growth of it was like pretty big spurts, you know, seeing. But the other thing about that's great is just seeing it keep the family orientation uh, feeling about it, you know. Uh, people still bringing their kids, you know, people. Yeah, so it's just, uh, 
something that we just never expected, but it, it's, it's here. And, um, you know, shouts out to Ramon Rousseau because that was his brainchild. Um, you know, I just came on along and helped him. So it made sure that, you know, things were paid for, you know, first couple of years. After that, you know, donations kind of supported everything. And now we got this small little cover charge of $10 and uh, we got a gate and, you know, everything, you know, things are... Now we can kind of, you know, it's kind of legitimized and made it a little easier. Took 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 some of the burden off of us, you know, because I mean, for some years we literally had to be out there at seven in the morning the next day, cleaning clean, clean up the park or, you know, just something crazy, you know. Um, so we've been able now to kind of delegate those uh, those those chores to other companies and whatnot. Okay. Um, it brings people from across the country now, even some people from out of the country. Yeah. Um, All right, Kyle, I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today um, and for everybody out there. Uh, this was the first edition of a series of exchanges uh, in collaboration with the resident advisor and Underground and Black. And we'll see you guys at the next one. Okay.